a new way of doing means you can't get on autopilot. And autopilot is comfortable and you don't have to pay a lot of attention. But to do something new means you have to be awake and alert and paying attention and willing to take risks. And that's scary for people. Even somebody who wins a million dollars in the lottery, that's a good change, but that's a hard change too. Because in order to say yes to the new things that come, you have to say goodbye to the old things that need to go. And I think that's part of what makes change so hard for people is there are things I don't want to let go of, but there are things I have to say goodbye to in order to embrace what is now and what is new and what is coming. And that's hard. If we started to pay more attention to what we have in common, we'd get a lot further rather than paying attention to the things that divide us because the things we have in common are much broader. Let's be honest. The church has been at the top of the list of many people's greatest frustrations in life. From racism to sexism, sexual abuses. I mean, the list goes on and on. What happens if we will come together for the sanctity of humans being human, right? Just because of who we are, we created in God's image and likeness and we say, hey, that's our starting point. That's the conversation we're going to blossom out of. And I think we can make more headway versus protecting our own turf. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe that the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. everybody, welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast. I'm Matt Burt, one of your hosts, and with me is Mackenzie Scott-Lewis. Hello, Mackenzie. Hello, Matt. And also with us is Shelly Riggs-Jordan. How are you doing, Shelly? I'm doing well, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well, and since I've got both of my three named colleagues on the list, I feel like I need to out <laughs> myself. This is David Matthew Burke from the Center for Congregations. So. Uh, so now we all have three names. Hooray. Good to have you part of the family, brother. Yes, yes. <laughs> Appreciate that. So yeah, so we've got, this is a little bit of a different format for an episode. We are approaching a mid-season break. So we're going to take a break through July and maybe a couple weeks in August as we get the second half of the year ready. And so we thought we'd come together as your three co-hosts and just talk about kind of a year in review, what we've covered in this year and some things that have stuck out to us on the podcast. So what we're going to do today. So are there any major moments as you two reflect on the year so far, any major moments that have stood out to you as like, wow, that was just an incredible piece of wisdom, or I'm so glad that we had this on as a topic, or why did I sign up for this? This has been nuts. <laughs> This has been a really cool experience. I think for me, Dr. Harrison Jones, talking about the impact and importance of every piece of your liturgy, your litany, the walls of your congregation. I mean, I'd always thought about litany and liturgy as part of worship, but never like the walls and just the impact of thinking of the entire space as an opportunity for worship 
that podcast for me was just incredible. I have been mulling that over since we did it. And I think it's been two or three months. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was an incredible piece of wisdom that a lot of us miss the opportunity to include space as worship. Yeah. Mm, that's good stuff. Yeah. Kind of continuing on the three name platform since Matt conveniently put himself with us, Shelley, <laughs> it's Tim Campbell Smith's podcast, particularly when he said social media is social. It's a storytelling platform mm. and how to connect to people through storytelling in a way that they are seen and that they belong, obviously, in their own story, but perhaps as a bridgeway to your story. And you can create that type of connectedness as a result of it. And the other thing that he said really stuck with me. He said, anytime that you want to put anything online, do speech to text. So on websites and things of this nature, he said, record it do your audio recording and just put it out there. And the speech to text that he told us about was another way of telling the story and creating a sense of realness, the authentic nature of oneself when talking and that it can pick up the feel of what is being said in words, whether it's a website or something like that. He said, just get in the habit of always recording what you want to say not necessarily for corrections and all that stuff, but, but to be real was impactful to me. Yeah, I really resonated with that. And it's something I think I should try because I agonize over writing. Like if I'm writing a blog post or if I'm writing an article or something like that, I tend to agonize over it. But I speak pretty confidently, I guess. It may not be coherent, <laughs> but I'm confident <laughs> in what I'm saying. But yeah, so for those of us who are more native speakers than writers, the opportunity to use that as our skill and just the way that it changes things. And listeners, if you didn't listen to the podcast, check it out. And Tim Campbell Smith was a great guest, but also just check out his website because that's what he does as he promotes and talks about himself and his work. And you can just see the difference in tone in the text because it's what he's saying, not what he's writing, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. I'm going back to what Shelley spoke about in terms of what, can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, cause that's intriguing to me in terms of how did the ideal worship in space like impact you? And do you see that in congregations that in your region or not see it in congregations in your region? You know, he was talking about it in particular as to, having it be a place where people can see themselves. So like he wanted to use one wall for art and he, I think he said the young man was 10, Matt, when he started working with him or he was younger. Yeah. And it became that young man's job to figure out what art was going on the wall. And now he's a teenager, I think. And he has just curated a bunch of different art pieces to be in there because I think he walked up to Pastor Harrison Jones and said, I don't see myself in any of those pictures. And so Dr. Harrison Jones was said, okay, well then why don't you help me figure out how to make sure you're included too, which I just thought was a phenomenal thing to give a young kid a voice like that. And so he just talks about, you know, when people walk into your space, can they see themselves there? Do they feel a part of the community based simply on what they see? And I think about, you know, a lot of our, you know, stained glass art is beautiful, but how many people see themselves in, you know, white Jesus, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of empty wall space 
in most sanctuaries too. So what if we filled it with things? So it was just, it just really struck a chord with Mm -hmm. me because I'm a very visual person. And I just remember thinking, you know what? A lot of times when I'm trying to concentrate or puzzle out something in the sermon, I will look for something to look at. And so what if there were all these pieces of art that really caught my attention? How much more would it enhance that worship experience for me? So yeah, he just really, he hit a nerve, a good nerve in me. A good nerve. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and that observation dovetails really well, Shelley, with an Ed event that we had with Derek DeGroote, the president of the Aspen Group. And I'm hoping to have him in the second half of the year on the podcast, but Aspen partnered with Barna Research and did essentially a really lengthy study on congregational space. And some of the, their findings seemed to indicate, and for those of you who aren't aware, Barna tends to come more out of a little bit of a conservative evangelical space I mean, they do research, so I don't believe that their research is biased, but the lens that they view the world tends to be a little bit in that way. And there seems to be this desire or drive for better aesthetics and better storytelling and better discipleship elements to facility space. So as opposed to just the very serviceable, you know, white walls, or actually in our case these days, black walls and lots of lights, <laughs> for the stage, right. all that kind of thing, <laughs> but more of a sense that we need more aesthetics in the environment because those aesthetics teach. Hmm. And so thinking back through into, you know, stained glass and ways that congregations and people have done storytelling and had done discipleship through architecture, wanting to reclaim that. And I just think that's such a cool idea And I hope that we do see more of that in congregational life moving forward. Me too. Like there's something about walking into a space and the space itself brings a sense of awe that transforms what's about to happen. Like I remember the first time I walked into the chapel at Duke, I just took a deep breath. I mean, there was, if you've never been to the chapel at Duke, it's just a phenomenal space. I mean, it was right after I'd been ordained and we were allowed to kind of wander around. And I remember climbing up in the pulpit because, you know, I think it's Methodist, right? Duke. I don't know. Anyway, so the pulpit is elevated because the word of God is elevated. And I remember climbing into the pulpit and looking out and being like, yeah, no, are you sure about this, God? Because <laughs> there's just this sense of, oh my gosh, you know, the responsibility. And But there's something about being in a space like that that puts you in a different mindset. Oh, yes. Hmm. And Mackenzie, I'm interested. I know that the black church is not a monolithic space by any stretch of the imagination, right. but I have way less experience in the black church. What are kind of and maybe just the traditions that you grew up in, what were the aesthetics Mm -hmm. like? What were the congregational facilities like and what story did they tell? Well, it definitely told a story that Jesus is white, blonde hair, blue eye was front and center. And it was an oddity even back then when I was growing up because most of the white people that I encounter were in authoritative places, school, You know, if my parents talked about, my grandparents talked about work and things like that. And so the connection between white and authority was really clear, even in the black narrative, in my experiences, because that was the picture. And of course, you had things on the wall that gave a story about how many people attended Sunday school, how much money was raised and things for overseas. And this is probably typical in, in a lot of other types of churches other than black churches. But that was pronounced in black churches to kind of see where you are as a congregation. So that created another type of kind of a barrier, to be blunt, that success mm-hmm. was based upon the number of people that attended church and success was based upon how much money you can raise and have any given Sunday in terms of 
tithes and offerings. And so as I grew and experienced different types of black environments to multicultural environments, certain things started to change. You didn't see as much as, you know, of this kind of accountability with numbers. In fact, you saw much less about numbers, but it also created greater secrecy. And so you didn't know what was really going on. All you had to hear and know is what the pastor was saying, period. Right. And so it was an interesting time. And so the space, I never felt in my experience, like in the black church, I remember my grandfather was pastoring a church and it wasn't so much what was on the walls and what weren't on the walls. It was what was on the floor and on the floor was wood. And when the choir or the musicians began to play, there was a certain cadence, how sound would bounce off the wood of the floor, how the stomping of one's foot, how it created its own rhythm. And you got swept into that. It's some of my more vivid memories of being in church was catching that Holy Ghost wave of music, if you will, and being swept away by its cadence, its sincerity, and this ability to celebrate even in suffering was profound in terms of being in a church building from my African-American perspective. (laughs) I love that picture you just painted. I could feel that. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Yeah, and as we've been talking, it just I've been reflecting on a lot of the interviews that we did in talking about community ministry and talking about young adults and congregational life, social media being about storytelling, you know, these aspects and issues of the congregational space being part of what is a welcoming space or environment and also that they teach. It just makes me think about how we need to reframe the congregation as the people who join or people who are present and not necessarily the facility or not necessarily even the mission. I mean, the mission's critical, of course, Mm -hmm. but thinking about the congregation as the people who gather, and as you were talking, I was just thinking about how with my family, you know, we live in a house. We've lived in the same house since my oldest was 11 months old. But if we identify our family, I don't think about our house. I think about my kids and my wife and our relationship and the things that we do together and how we move into the world. And it seems like in the congregational space, we've sometimes lost that because when we think church, when we think congregation, we think of the facility or maybe elements of the gathering as opposed to just the people who are present. And so Mm -hmm. kind of a common thread to me throughout this whole season of conversation has been how important the relationships are, how important the storytelling is, and how important purpose is, finding the purpose behind things. Like, why are you doing community ministry? Why are you developing a strategic plan? Why are you getting involved in social media? So not this kind of sterile doing it so that you get, Mackenzie, as you mentioned, more people showing up or more money in the plate. But what are the other purposes? What are the healthy things that you're going after for the people who show up constantly week to week, but also for the people that those people encounter out in the world and thinking about purpose from the perspective of the relationships and the impact of those things, as opposed to the typical metrics that we might tend to look at. So sorry, that was a bit of a ramble, but it's just interesting to me how, and people who have listened to the podcast for a while have heard me talk about this before, that church is actually a mistranslation, that church comes from this word kuriakos, which means the Lord's house. But that Mm -hmm. word is only found once in scripture or maybe not at all. 
And the word used in the New Testament scriptures of the Christian faith is ecclesia, which is, means those who are called, the ones who are called. And so it's talking mm-hmm. about the people, the people who are congregated, who are gathered together. Preach, man. <laughs> and I think we need to recover <laughs> that sense of it's about the people and the relationships and the stories. And space can be a part of that. Shelley, just like you were talking about with Dr. Winterborn Harrison Jones, the beauty of being able to tell story with the space, right? But it starts with the relationship and the sacred stories of the community. I'm getting excited uh, just thinking about how, you know, a congregation that is focused on that, how different that is than the one that's just kind of focused on the congregation as an organization or as a business. When our focus is where it's supposed to be, the stuff that we used to worry about takes care of itself. Mm, Well said. Yeah. I think that's been one of the great things about the millennials. You know, there was this, is this really all churches? You know, buildings, budgets, and butts in the pew. Surely there's more. And so this reminder, this level set that it's really about the relationship. It's really about the community that's built, not how much money we brought in and how many people were here last week. Yeah, I agree with that. And when you look at the Holy Scriptures, it is clear that God desires a relationship with us. It's abundantly clear. And look at all the times that we have veered away to the other things. You think about in the time when Jesus was walking the face of the earth and they were meeting in houses. You can't get any more intimate than in a house or in the New Testament when it describes a burning bush or uh, the voice of God. I mean, that's intimacy. And when I think about the common thread in some of our podcasts so far this season, it is that these other things enhances the relational part Mm -hmm. and the relational part enhances the other parts. It's a, it kind of goes together because I remember when Jason Moore talked about kind of this call and response, which is very familiar in the African-American tradition and practice in other traditions where the pastor is talking literally to the congregation and the congregation is literally responding in concert or in step or in rhythm. And that when you have hybrid worship services, that you need to have that type of interactiveness with your congregation, even though you might be online. And how do you create that? And he gave you know, some wonderful opportunities or how-tos to do so, like by looking in the camera, having a person who's an advocate. As soon as you come online, somebody's greeting you. And if you need prayer right in the middle of the service, that prayer is done right then. And the final thing I would say is that he mentioned that to have a pastor respond to a question or a thought or an idea during the service to that person that is online. That's phenomenal. That is a type of intimacy where you get to know the person, the person gets to know you and that connectedness, that level of understanding is what God desires of us. I don't come from a tradition where we do the talk back. Mm -hmm. So the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, you're not supposed to talk when the pastor talks. But then I realized, oh, wait, I'm not in my tradition. This is kind of cool. <laughs> and to be fair, there are, you know, in the African-American tradition, it's not, you know, obviously one way, because there's some churches that you say amen in a loud way or you respond. People look at you like you have 18 heads, right? And so it is not just black, but what Jason was saying that white churches need to take on more of that. 
He was saying this yeah. is a chance to explore when you go hybrid. So yeah, Sean, I can feel you with that. Like, oh my God, are they talking back? Is are they disrespectful? No, it's yes. It's a cadence. <laughs> I remember in my preaching class, one of my white colleagues was talking about being in the South and he got invited to speak in an African-American church. Mm -hmm. And he said, I was terribly nervous because I didn't normally speak in front of people. And he said, so I had my notes and I was kind of reading my notes and every once in a while, somebody would say, amen. And then a woman said, say it again, brother. And he said, I went, I looked at her and I started from the beginning. And he said, the whole congregation just started laughing. And somebody's like, that's not what we meant. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but you raised such a great point, Mackenzie, that it's not just African-American traditions. I mean, in many Pentecostal traditions. Absolutely. In a lot of white Pentecostal traditions, the call and response or the interaction of the people in the crowd are an important part of that. And so, yeah, in the digital era, how do we recapture and maintain some of that? And Shelly, to your kind of larger point, it's about the community of what happens, right? It's about the belonging and the togetherness of the environment. And how do we capture that when, you know, some congregations between 40 and 50% of the congregation is online. So how do we develop the tools and the resources? And Mackenzie, thanks for sharing that the Jason recommended to people, because I think those are so critical, yeah. just such an important thing to think about in today's congregational climate. Yes. I remember Patrick talking about grief and loss and Matt, he had this phrase about grief, but it was like, wow, never thought of grief in that way. Mm. I remember Mike McHarg a long time ago talked about grief as separation anxiety that can never be resolved. Wow. Hmm. I always thought that was an interesting way to look at it. Oh, separation anxiety that can never be resolved. <laughs> yeah, that anxiety gives me anxiety in that statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The never be resolved That's is what gives me. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, hey, and we can go all the way yes. back to the beginning. I mean, Mike McHarg was our very first guest of the podcast back in September of 2020. I think the title of the episode was Where Have All the Young People Gone? Mm. And he was a great resource for thinking about millennials. And at this point, millennials are getting old. Right. <laughs> millennials, I think, are. <laughs> the oldest millennials are in their 40s now. But I think the things that he had to say have a lot of good relevance as we look to Gen Z and even generations beyond. Because I think I mentioned this on that episode, and maybe the two of you resonate with this as well. I remember finding a book about Gen Xers when Gen Xers were in between like 16 and 25, which that's my generation, right? Mm -hmm. And I started reading the book, and there were so many parallels to what you hear about millennials and now you hear about Gen Z. So I think every generation struggles to connect with prior generations and tends to view them as you know, lazy and like, they're never going to make it, right. <laughs> all those kinds of things. So I think, you know, there of course are unique challenges out there, but there also are some of the things that are just generational in nature that we can learn from. You made me think about, Matt, about a book called Generation Gap, I think it's called. And the author concludes that all generations basically have the same values. They are just expressed in different ways. Right. And so having employment and having that sense of purpose in the baby boomer category is just different with the millennials and, and on down. And so they may say, oh, job with the social consciousness is important, but my work is not everything that I am. Right. But still, the value of work is still there. 
It's just that we have these set values that go from generation to generation, but they're expressed in different ways, different priorities. Yeah, I think that's a great observation. And I think I've heard similar things around cultural lines and even political lines that if we started to pay more attention to what we have in common, we'd get a lot further rather than paying attention to the things that divide us because the things we have in common are much broader. I'm excited about that because we may have a guest. I'm not going to mention his name just in case it doesn't work out, but I'm hoping we're going to have a podcast guest and an ed event in the fall on cultural intelligence or CQ. Mm-hmm. And and Mackenzie did not set that up for me, listeners. This was not a setup for a plug. <laughs> this, was, this was natural. But, you know, he discusses how we need to develop better cultural intelligence because if we don't understand the differences in cultures or can't sift the differences in cultures, we're often very blind and can often make pretty big mistakes about how we interact with other people. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that that's going to work out for this fall. Yeah, you know, I have a saying, you know, I've been in this DEI world for, you know, over, well, man, 25, 30 years. And I had this saying that if diversity is our strength, then unity is our power. Mm. And I really believe that. And as we listen to all our different podcasts and things of this nature, you kind of see this type of unity emerging, right? Out of diverse ways of having worship, out of diverse ways of, you know, the person even presenting the material, right? There's this, if we will come together in this spirit of diversity, it causes us to have the type of power that can change churches from the inside out. Let's be honest. Hmm. The church has been at the top of the list of many people's greatest frustrations in life. From racism to sexism, sexual abuses. I mean, the list goes on and on. What happens if we will come together for the sanctity of humans being human, right? Just because of who we are, we created in God's image and likeness and we say, hey, that's our starting point. That's the conversation we're going to blossom out of. And I think we can make more headway versus protecting our own turf to the degree. And I, I know that privilege and things like that has a lot attached to it. So, you know, I could be extremely hopeful, but hope is the confident expectation that it shall come to pass, right? So I'm confident that we'll begin to focus on the things that unite us and respect and honor the things that are different from one another. Mm -hmm. Congregations would transform the world if that was the outlook. Yeah. And isn't that what we're trying to do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's what we hope for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's so cool that you said that, Mackenzie, because I think that's a common thread in my work, at least with the Center for Congregations. You know, as both of you know, we see the bright spots of congregational life. I mean, yeah, we hear problems and uh, stories of issues and challenges as well, and and people trying to overcome challenges. But the great successes come in where congregations are actually making a difference in some way, shape, or form, and we get to see those success stories. And again, it seems like a setup, Mackenzie. We're just on the same wavelength here. (laughs) Um, The center has tried to start becoming more of a repository of those kinds of stories. And so I'd encourage listeners to check out our website, centerforcongregations.org, we have stories of things that are happening. And these are not just like cherry-picked, you know, highlights of which it's not representative of the rest of our work. These stories are very representative of a lot of our work. It's just that we only have time and opportunity to showcase so many stories. 
But I'd encourage you to take a look because we have a very strong counter narrative to the doom and gloom that you hear in American society about congregational life. Congregations are still vibrant, thriving places where very good things are happening. And people really care about those in their community, those within the walls of their congregation, those without the walls of their congregation. Mm. And there's just some real beautiful things happening that uh, that we would love to share with others who who are out there. Preach, brother, preach. <laughs> <laughs> I pay Matt a lot of money to be on the same page as me today. And <laughs> so to the president of the Center for Congregations, I need a third job to cover this cost. <laughs> so if I'm absent from work, I'm working another job to take <laughs> Uh, you're funny. <laughs> what other reflections do the two of you have just from either just your work with congregations this year through the podcast episodes, through any education events you've been a part of this year? You know, I really enjoyed our conversation with Jason Duman. Hmm. He talked about humor in church life. And I don't know that a lot of people would say that humor is an important aspect of congregational life. I think sometimes we take ourselves pretty seriously. And so it was a refreshing conversation. But even for me, some of the things you were saying, I was like, is that, is that sacrilegious? (laughs) No, no, it's not sacrilegious. Oh my goodness. And so I thought, I just thought it was a really good invitation to step outside the box and to think about humor differently. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a really great conversation. Yeah, when I came across his doctoral dissertation on comedy and congregational life, I was like, oh yeah, we got to talk to this guy. Yeah, Yeah, he was talking about how when Jesus was saying, hey, you stop pointing out the speck in your neighbor's eye. You got that big old plank. He said, now you think Jesus wasn't giggling a little bit when he was imagining somebody with a huge, like two by four sticking out of their eye and smacking (laughs) people left and right with it? (laughs) One of the things that I'm hearing in congregations throughout the state and obviously more specifically in Northwest Indiana is this idea of returning to Egypt and what I like to call mourning the past. And that return to Egypt is like the children in the wilderness, the Israelites in the wilderness, right? And as soon as there was some level of prosperity, they were being fed, being clothed, you know, Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai to have a conversation, a little intimate conversation with the Lord. And and the people kind of lost themselves. They were delivered, but wanted to go back to captivity because that was more comfortable. And I think in this hybrid space, I heard one pastor say this to me, to my face. He said, man, we just really successful with our online, but I got to have people back in the pews. So we're thinking about shutting it down. And while I understood where he was coming from, from the standpoint that we are created to be in community, to be connected with each other, it was also the return to let everything be what it was before COVID. And... The truth is nothing is really the same ever. When you look at it, you don't memorialize something that's different. You memorialize things that you've seen in your life or people or situations, circumstances, buildings, (laughs) and say, oh, this is what it was back then. But the idea to go back into captivity in order to have rest or to have what we may perceive a more comfortable way of going is a known entity, right? Mm. Versus the faith 
to leap out into spaces unknown. And I personally believe that this time period is that time to leap so that when you take a step, God is already there, right? You're not taking a step into the abyss. You're taking a step on solid ground and you have to trust that. So that's some of the things I'm hearing a lot of. When I say a lot, enough to percolate my antennas. How can you percolate antennas? I'm hearing it enough to cause me to believe that there are many that are concerned about the changes that church is going through, congregations are going through, and maybe not being as well prepared for that as they would like to be. Seminary didn't teach them this. No. Or life experiences didn't really teach them this if they didn't go to seminary, which is okay. Yeah. Well, and a new way of doing means you can't get on autopilot. Mm -hmm. And autopilot is comfortable and you don't have to pay a lot of attention. But to do something new means you have to be awake and alert and paying attention and willing to take risks. And that's scary for people. You know, even somebody who wins a million dollars in the lottery, that's a good change, but that's a hard change too. Because in order to say yes to the new things that come, you have to say goodbye to the old things that need to go. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of what makes change so hard for people is there are things I don't want to let go of. That's right. But there are things I have to say goodbye to in order to embrace what is now and what is new and what is coming. Yes. And that's hard. Very true. Well said, Shelley. Two things. One, Dr. McLeod's book on necessary endings would be a great reading for those who are listening about mm. how to let go of something to get into something bigger, greater, or different. And then the second thing is, I would like to be that person that wins the lottery to have that problem, Shelly. So just <laughs> no. give me your tickets. <laughs> <laughs> me too. And going back to something you said earlier, Mackenzie, I can actually imagine percolating antennas. I'm such a big coffee lover. <laughs> really? I'm the old coffee percolators. And I could imagine like some antenna that, you know, have like, yeah, it just, it works, it works for, me. for you. It works for me as an, if it works for one person in this world and it's Maddie Ice, I'm a happy man. <laughs> yeah. It's just so interesting that I think we're moving into a place that we're in uncharted waters and the temptation is exactly what you're describing, Mackenzie, of going back into the same old patterns and habits, Shelley, of going back to sleep and not being consciously aware but what a great opportunity we have, you know, as we've had so many mental health professionals come through for education events and through for podcast episodes, I'm thinking of Dr. Jessica Brown, which was episode six of this year, they've talked a lot about how congregations have such an amazing opportunity to be places of healing for people who are hurting. And there's a lot of people hurting because of mm -hmm. the isolation and stress of the pandemic and, you know, just all of the I mean, the whole landscape ever since, you know, it seems like we've been having societal upheaval and since like 2015, 2016. So we're talking, what, seven years now that we've just been on a bit of a roller coaster, societally speaking, at least in the United States. I know we have some international listeners, but at least in the United States, we've been on a ride like that. And when things are so unstable underneath our feet, we need a source of stability. And what an opportunity congregations have to be a place of healing and stability for people in society. So I'd encourage congregations to think about these changes. And it is difficult and it requires so much energy. Mm, yes, it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but doing so, the rewards are great, I think, at this point in time. 
And there are people, whether they're pastors or lay leaders or just folks in the pews who have been waiting for a time like this, Mm -hmm. who God has been equipping and calling and saying, it's coming, hold on. And I think find those people in your congregations, encourage them to take leadership because they are ready for what's coming Mm -hmm. and they can be the folks that lead you through. Yeah. And speaking of the energy component of that, I actually heard an interesting theory about why older people have such a hard time changing because problem solving and conscious thinking requires a tremendous amount of energy, like literally burning energy in the body and in the brain. And as you get older, you have fewer stores of energy. And so it's actually harder to critically engage. And so that's maybe one of the reasons why older people tend to not change as much. And so Shelly, piggybacking on what you just said, also tapping into the energy of youth and people Mm -hmm. who are coming along who are more engaged in aspects of culture than you might be or that leaders in your congregation might be, tapping into that energy and desire to make changes and to be a positive impact in society, I think could be a really cool thing to do as well. Mm. It would. Well, hey, everyone, we are so appreciative of your listenership. We are here for you, the reason we exist. I mean, we do enjoy these conversations, but we're here because we hope to bring really good conversations, information, and expertise out into the congregational space. And so we're so thankful for your listenership and the fact that you're here and paying attention to the things that we're talking about. We hope that it's really beneficial for you and hope that it sparks conversations in your world as well. And we could not do this without the blessings of the Lilly Endowment and all their contributions to religious life throughout the world, but particularly here in the state of Indiana and more closely to the Center for Congregations. With great gratitude, we say thank you. So if you are interested in some of the topics that we talked about and you would like to know a little bit more about them, one of the resources that we have that anybody in the world can access is the Congregational Resource Guide, which you can find at thecrg.org. And it's just a list of curated resources that we have compiled over the years. And you go there and you put in whatever your topic is and everything that comes up is related to congregational life. So thecrg.org invite you to jump on and check that out. Speaking of congregational life, oh man, this podcast has great life if you like us. We have listeners from all over the world as a result of that. So make sure that you rate, review us, review us and rate us. And we love five stars. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I'm just saying. We do. We would also love to hear from you. So if you want to let us know what you think about these episodes, if you have any thoughts, topics that you'd like us to cover or any guests that you would like us to have on, you can reach out to us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. I have been cleaning the inbox. I've been dusting it, keeping it swept. And it's it's kind of lonely (laughs) because there have been a lot of cobwebs and dust to clean out. So we would love to hear from you. (laughs) We genuinely do respond to that. I've had a couple of conversations with people who have reached out via the podcast email and actually, our guest, uh, Michelle Jackson, for episode 11, came through one of our listeners recommending the topic of foster care. So we genuinely would love to hear from you. We learn more from congregations than we teach. And so we would love to hear from you about the things that you're wrestling with, struggling with, or topics that you would like to hear. So this episode was engineered and edited by Jaden Lee. Jaden, thank you so much for making us sound amazing. And we also want to do our geographical shout out. We mentioned a couple of times that we do have international listeners, but I'm going to go a little close to home here and give the geographical shout out to our listeners in Hartford City. Hartford City, we see you. 
we know where you are. I know about Ivanhoe's. So yes. I appreciate Hartford City, the listeners there. Thank you so much for listening. So we're going to take a break about maybe six weeks, give or take, but we will be back. So if you are following us, please keep us followed because those episodes will keep coming. So for the Center for Congregations, I am David Matthew Burke. I am Shelley Riggs Jordan. And I am Mackenzie Scott Lewis. Thank you for being a part of our podcast. See you next time. Thank you.